Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Sunbury Press studio at the Christian Baker Farm near Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest is Marlon Bressy, the author of four very strange books, three volumes of Pennsylvania Oddities, and a book called Hairy Men in Caves. Marlon, welcome. Hi. So I have to ask you, Pennsylvania Oddities and Hairy Men in Caves, you've got, you've got some great compilations here. What's got you interested in all this this weird stuff? Oh, I think it goes back to when I was a, a kid. My, my dad would always take me to the most strange offbeat tourist crafts in Pennsylvania, all these weird out of the place out of the way places that only he could he could find. And now uh, from a young age I just got a fascination in things that were off the beaten path and uh, it kind of just stuck with me. Yeah. So you I mean a lot of this stuff is historic. It goes way back. I, I've noticed uh early twentieth century, nineteenth century, even things um you know that are more legendary. Um you know, your interest in history, is there some training or interest in that, or is it more just this running around with Dad to weird places? I mean, I'm interested in, in anything historic, even in, in recent history, but it seems I gravitate more towards, you know, from the Civil War era up until, you know, World War One, the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression. Um, that seems to be in my, in my wheelhouse. Yeah, so I know, too, some of this is, is paranormal, Um you know, UFOs, ghosts, um, just oddball stuff like that. Is there? An, do you have an interest in in that subject matter as well? Yeah, I've always been interested in the paranormal, and you know, I've, over the years I've had friends who swear their house is haunted, and I would try to do investigations, but I've I've never seen a UFO in my life. I've never seen a ghost in my life. So I'm kind of, I think maybe that's why I, I keep writing about it in hopes that you know sometimes uh, I will have an experience of my own. But so far, it hasn't happened yet. So in your three volumes, Pennsylvania Oddities, mm-hmm. one, two, and three, is there a particular like ghost story that stands out as like, this is the most plausible of the ones that I've investigated? This is the one that, even though you didn't see the ghost yourself, the the witnesses are so convincing, or maybe the historic record that you've you've uncovered is so convincing. Yeah, in the, in the latest book, the volume three of Pennsylvania Oddities, I think some of my favorite ghost stories that I covered are in that one. Um, for instance, the one in Luzerne County, there was the ghost of, of Reverend Felix Nowak, who was, was murdered, his house caught on fire. And I, I found that one to be particularly interesting just because of the, of the history behind him. Also in that volume, there's a, a story about a ghost dog. And I find, you know, ghost animals to be the, a very interesting topic as well. A ghost dog. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, that was done in Bedford County uh, for... Period of 50 or 60 years, this, this cemetery was haunted by an apparition, an apparition of, a, of a black dog. And the fact that it was sighted first by so many people for such a long period of time, you know, it was just a very fascinating, fascinating story. Interesting. Reminds me of a Led Zeppelin song, but that's a completely off the wall, different topic. <laughs> I got Tori laughing too. <laughs> so, uh, ghosts, I see. Uh, uh, mention of a UFO in Clearfield County, um, mm-hmm. 1950. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about that. Yeah, in 1950, a a gentleman was driving through a remote area in Clearfield County, and happened to see a a 
UFO at very close range. He was able to make drawings of it. And what made it interesting is the the guy in question, the, the witness who saw it, came from a scientific and academic background. So I think any time a witness has that sort of framing or background, it certainly adds credence to their claim. Unfortunately, nobody else seems to believe the guy, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that he was a, a credible witness. So what are your sources for some of these, for your your research? Where do you go to find this information, and how do you put it together? Well, all these books are based on the Pennsylvania Oddities blog, which has been around since, I think, 2012. And in the early days, I had to do a lot of, a lot of scouring old newspaper archives and old genealogical websites and, and everything. But now I'm at the point where I have so many regular readers that a lot of them actually just email me tips and leads of, interesting story. So that really cuts down on the legwork that I have to do. So as the site continues to grow, as the, the book series continues to grow, I get a lot more interesting tips coming from the readers. Do you then go out to these places ever, or do you just write about them? No, actually, I, I do go out to them. And a couple of years back, I did attempt to make a Pennsylvania Oddities um, YouTube channel, but obviously my Technological skills just are, are terrible, so I kind of have to abandon <laughs> that. Uh, so I, I think I'm just going to stick with the writing from here on out. But you know, I, I have visited many of the places. Yeah, it's kind of tough to go out to a place where people saw a UFO in 1950, and you're like by some trees or by a field, and there's no UFO anymore, of course. But you know, you can talk about it and say, well, they, they say it happened here. It, it, unless you can put in some animation or uh, you know, some yeah. CGI. Yeah, like ancient. But for some of the yeah. for some of the stories that really appeal to me, and if they are within driving distance, I mean, it's nice to go there just to get a feel of the scenery and the, the surrounding atmosphere, and it, it helps with the writing process. You can tell a better story that way. So I'm I'm just perusing the the list of like thirty or so chapters in this latest volume, volume three, and there were a couple that. The, the titles kind of crack me up, <laughs> and so I'm going to bring them up, maybe to tease the audience into picking them up, buying the, you know buying the book and checking them out uh, in total. But uh, the peg-legged fugitive, and this is from Cambria County, and I, I try to imagine a peg-legged fugitive really trying to get away and, and having a lot of trouble. Tell us about yeah, that, that one. That, that was just sometimes researching a completely different story at the time in, a, in an old newspaper, and I did come across the story and I I read it and I thought, well, that was very bizarre. So I kept on reading and reading and then obviously the more I, I read about it, the more interesting I found the story. So I really spent a lot of time tracking down the details for that one just because everybody involved in that story had a fake limb. The judge in the case, the two lawyers in the case, several witnesses, everybody either had one arm or one leg. And of course, if you know that area, I mean, it's a very industrial area. It happened after, I mean, a lot of these people were were veterans of the Civil War. So you figure people, there were probably a lot more people walking around back then on less legs than they are today. So. Yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to take a break. <laughs> and we'll be right back. We, we're talking to Marlon Bressy, the author of Pennsylvania Oddities, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, and Harry Men in Caves. We'll be right back. 
Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of authors from many genres. If you are into horror, thrillers, or fantasy, check out our Hellbender Books imprint, Thomas Malaforina's Maliformed Reality series, The Thirteenth Child by Nick Korolev, The State Changers series by Chris Fenwick, or the psychological thrillers of Keith Rommel. Find these and other works at the Hellbender Books tab and all works of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. We're back talking to Marlon Bressy, the author of Pennsylvania Oddities, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, and Hairy Men in Caves. And Marlon, I I just can't help myself. Uh, this Connellsville explosion, um, it sounds, it just sounds horrific. I, I remember reading it when we were editing it. Death at the Five and Dime sounds like, uh, I don't know, sounds like a murder mystery. Yeah, it was a very sad story um, happening in Connellsville back in, in 1911. And it was very unfortunate because of a, a situation where it was just a gas leak. And that was before they started putting, intentionally putting odor in the gas so people know that there was a leak. So back then, I mean, your, your whole basement could be filling up with a highly flammable gas and nobody would know anything about it. And unfortunately, I mean, they, in, in the morning, it was in a, of a McCrory Five and Dime uh, store, and the, the explosion, um, the loss of life wasn't super terrible. It was just the fact that everybody who died, there were a lot of young children and young women working at the store. And there was one guy who actually did race into the flames and, and save somebody, saved several lives, actually. And um, within the last, Couple of years, this guy has actually gotten some some credit. His name was Frank Sterone, and back in 2006, the local newspaper wrote something about him, and now there's actually a bronze plaque dedicated to his honor at the site of the explosion. So it's nice that you know, even though this happened you know over a century ago, this guy who was this immigrant that nobody knew his name until recently, you know, he's getting the the credit that he's finally due after all this time. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that. That's amazing. You know. I, it was also, uh, it, it made me think, you know, this is over 100 years ago. You have this horrific fire. And I wondered, where were the lawyers afterwards? Were there all kinds of lawsuits? And I, I'm guessing probably not uh, back well, then. It was tied, yeah, it was tied up in courts for, for several years. Um, I know there were a lot, of, a lot of lawsuits pending. I know the widow of the, the guy who ran into the fire Um the company like refused to pay her burial expenses, the burial expenses for her husband, um, and it was just it was, it was very sad. I know a lot of the local newspapers for weeks afterwards uh, just wrote terrible editorials about the the gas company and the gas company who was responsible for the for the explosion. And I know um, one of the witnesses who was called in court from is an employee of the Fayette County Gas Company. Uh, he actually died at a very young age. I know a lot of other people who were blamed for the explosion. I mean, it, it really took a toll on people's mental health and physical health just because it was such a terrible tragedy, and it was held up in courts and lawsuits and countersuits, and it, it was just a tragedy all around for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. And if that happened today, you know, you, it would make national news. There would be multi-million-dollar lawsuits for everybody involved in a civil case, criminal case. Um, yeah, and just, just a terrible way. It, it reminds me of the Triangle Shirt Factory fire that happened in New York, the horrific yeah. 
Yeah, that certainly crossed my thought when I, I yeah. started researching it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of these uh, some of these stories are, are kind of humorous in, in in many ways, the titles and so on. But when you actually get into the tragedies, it's, there's nothing funny about it at all. And this this is one example of uh, you know of news from over a hundred years ago that certainly would make national headlines. It would be all over TV today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, an, another one that. Well, there's just a couple. They all pique my interest, and <laughs> we don't have time to talk about them all. But I, I have to ask about John Wilkes Booth's coal region doppelganger. So <laughs> there was actually a point in time when Booth was on the run that some people thought he was running around uh, up in Northumberland County, or is this like years later they thought Booth lived and survived and was up there? Or what's the deal? Well, this this happened right during the time of the, after the assassination, when the manhunt for John Wilkes Booth was taking place, there was a, a guy from, from Pottsville, a Civil War veteran, by the way, Captain Jacob Washington Potts, who actually bore an uncanny resemblance to John Wilkes Booth, and at, as it occurred at the same time where there was a nationwide manhunt for Booth, this guy had his hands full. Everywhere he went, people thought he was running from the authorities, and his life was certainly not easy after that. Um, there were, he had a couple close calls with, with militia groups who were out looking for John Wilkes Booth, and he had to prove who he was over and over and over again, no matter where he went in Pennsylvania. You know, he was always, you know, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to bear such a strong resemblance to John Wilkes Booth, and there was nowhere for this poor guy to hide, even though he had, he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And in the book, I, I did provide side by side photos, and you know, I think anybody could just, the obvious similarity it's uncanny actually wow makes you wonder who the dad was <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but uh yeah it's not it's not like this guy could carry a picture license or a passport and say hey here i am see i'm actually this other person i'm not john wilkes booth and uh, back then it was pretty much uh you know word of mouth and uh, yeah and and this fellow who had the unfortunate of looking like those he actually survived until 1914 he was I think 81, when he died, he lived the rest of his life in Shemokin. He was a coal mine superintendent, but he seems, he seems to have kept a very low profile after that. So it, it'd be interesting to see what the rest of his life was like. But yeah. unfortunately, the story ends after they actually did capture John Wilkes. So. Yeah, you think about today with social media and the way you know stuff gets around so fast. Back then, you could... You have like the Johnstown flood come through your town and you could decide, you know what, I wanted to move on and start another family somewhere else or I'm in debt and I need to start a new life in another town. You could actually pick up and go, change your name and uh, just start living another life somewhere. And there was no like federal database of information and no internet with uh, pictures of you or the news going around about how you've been a you know, a robber or something wherever you were or how you were in debt. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's amazing how times have changed. And, yeah, I guess this guy was kind of caught up in that uh, um, misidentification. Uh, yeah, the other one that that is really compelling, I see the, the Likens Triple Axe murder of 1932. I think of Lizzie Borden and, and, you know, that whole story. And then here we have one in Likens, right, right up the river from Harrisburg. What happened yeah, that there? One, well, it was back in 1930, 
to an out-of-work miner. His name was Barney Stileski. Uh He just uh, went crazy and attacked his family with a hatchet. And and it was a strange story because I, I don't live too far from there, so I did try to visit the site, and I believe the house is still standing, but it's been remodeled so extensively that I didn't get a chance to find. But I was stopping people on the street asking if they knew about this, and people probably were... <laughs> thinking I was off my rocker as well, but it was, yeah. there was just something about the story that just really appealed to me on, on a visceral level. So I, I gave myself a walking tour of Lycans, which didn't take long, because Lycans is in a very big right. town, of course. But, but apparently nobody who lived in Lycans ever had heard the story, but you would think with such a terrible, yeah. terrible crime that, that you know legends would have spread or maybe ghost stories would have arisen. Well, well imagine being the homeowner and Marlon Bressy knocks on your door and says, hey, you know, there was a triple axe murder here 90 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, that was my intention. I was trying to find the house because there were pictures of the house in the newspaper back from 1932. And I thought, well, maybe I could find which house that was. And I knew which street, which block it was on. And I walked up and down. And I could not find this house. And but that was my intention to knock on the door and say, "Hey, back in 1932, a terrible crime happened here. Do you mind if I take a look around?" <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the kind of person I I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might have a shotgun in your face <laughs> up that way if you're not too careful. Yeah, yeah that's that's something. You, you mean to tell me nobody up there knew the history of that? That's no, uh, nobody. It was news to everybody, and that is a story based on a blog post I had written, and that. I think it's probably one of the top five blog posts I've ever written as far as, as views go. Yeah. So. So when so, you. No, go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you real quick before we break. Um, going back through the history, do you find that these these terrible murders are more about knives and axes or more about guns? Or is it just across, you know, all over the place? It's a, a combination of of a little bit of everything. I mean, every possible way somebody could get murdered. Uh, I think I, I've written about it from that time period. Uh, poison seems to be a very popular method, too. Well, we're going to come uh, back and talk about poison. When we come back from our break, we're talking to Marlon Bressy, the author of Pennsylvania Oddities, Volume 1, 2, and 3, and Hairy Men in Caves. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books is your home for the writings of independent authors. Loch Ness Books is our young adult imprint, including Joe Harvey's Summer Changes Everything, Deanne Baker's The Boaters Club, and Arcane Maurer's Forbidden Powers series. Find these and other books by diverse authors at sunburypress.com. We're back talking to Marlon Bressy. Marlon, we were just starting to get into poison. It's like, instead of Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, sounds like there's 50 ways to kill somebody. Uh, what's uh, what's up with poison? What have you come across in your research? Well, uh, poison was just easily accessible at the at the time. Um, obviously, there weren't as many restrictions on dangerous chemicals as there are now. And there was a story from York County in the latest uh, edition of Pennsylvania Hotties about the Garrett family curse, where this woman's children died under very suspicious circumstances, and uh, to this day, it hasn't been solved, but it seems to be that um, arsenic was used for everything around a household back then. It was used as insect repellents and for killing roaches and rats and everything. And, and if you look at all these historic cases of, of, of murder or suicide or anything where a poison is involved, I'd say seven out of ten times arsenic is, is the 
both there. Yeah, so arsenic, is there a reason why it's around the household more? Um, you know, what was it used for? Was that rat poison mainly? or? Well, I would just imagine that back in, you know, the 1880s, 1890s, there were probably just a lot more, more rats running around. But an interesting thing I, I have noticed, too, is a lot of this occurs in agricultural areas. And I know arsenic is used or was used back then for for apple orchards. So mm. it seems interesting that there is a, a correlation between these strange, unexplained, mysterious deaths that seems to happen in the vicinity of fruit orchards. Hmm. Very interesting. So an apple a day, hmm, not so good, huh? So I have to ask you, three volumes now of Pennsylvania Oddities. Is there one story among all three, one chapter that stands out as the weirdest or your favorite? Um, I would have to say in the latest chapter, there was the situation that took place in, in Burnside, which is right outside of Shemokin, Pennsylvania, um, a triple murder that took place in, in, I want to say, 1974. I don't have the notes in front of me. It was interesting because I grew up in Coleman, which was like two miles away from Shemokin. And although I like more older stories, I tend not to write about things in the 60s or 70s. But this was interesting because a lot of the places that figured into the story were places I used to go as a, as a children, as a child. Uh, for instance, like the hardware store where the killers went to buy chemicals to try to dissolve the body was the same hardware store I used to shop at. And then they took their car to a car wash in Green Ridge to try to hose off the blood and the gore. And that was the same car wash I used to take my car when, when I was a teenager. So it was just unreal to see that this horrible crime happened and in a place that I knew so in, that I was so intimately familiar with. Now, when you were there, when you went through those places, how soon after the uh, events was that? Um, I would have to say... Um, uh, within 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I mean, that is another story that was, was based on a blog post I had made. And my mom, who's just as morbid as I am, she actually read the <laughs> blog post and she said, well, why don't you ask me about that? I'm like, well, why would I ask you about that? And she's like, well, the, those three men who were arrested for those murders, those were my friends. I, we, we hung out together and she used to go to the, to the killer basketball games in high school and I thought, wow, my mom knew uh, mass murderers, and she never told me. So I wish she would have told me. I could have certainly gotten some interesting, colorful background information for that story. Hmm. I was kind of mad that I didn't consult with her about about that story. That's interesting. Because she was, uh, she was in high school at the time when that happened, and she knew everybody who was involved. It's interesting that you said in the opening that it was your dad who uh, took you around, and yet your mother was really close to those events. So... Um. Pivoting yeah, if, if my dad had told me that, I wouldn't have been as surprised. But my mom, yeah. I mean, she's, it was hard to believe that this woman who was our, our scout den mother when I was a kid, and she would always bake for the church picnics and church bake sales, that she actually knew uh, Hitler's. <laughs> that really <laughs> threw me for a loop. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would. Yeah. Wow. Pivoting to your Hairy Men in Caves, the first book you did with us, um, what a strange book. <laughs> what is it with hermits? <laughs> you seem to have found quite a few, and uh, yeah, maybe you can kind of yeah. sum that up. Uh, is there a particular psychological angle to this, or is it more about economics? or What's going well, on? A lot of this, 
I was first interested in when, when I was a child. I grew up in Coltmont, which is a very rural coal mining area area in Northumberland County. And I'd always heard legends about this guy who used to live in a shack out in the mountains. And this this fellow, he was legendary, even though nobody ever recalled seeing him. But I did find somebody who, you know, asking around, somebody who actually took me out to his place. And I did meet this man who was very elderly at the time, and he was a true real-life hermit living in a shack that he built himself ever since the 1940s, I believe. So this was probably... 1988 or 89 when I when I met this guy. So he was out there for you know, four or five decades, living two or three miles outside of town in the mountains in a homemade shack. And that just made such a big impression on me that to this day, whenever I hear a, a story about Herman, it immediately captures my, my interest. Yeah. So now were these these gentlemen running from the law mostly or were they just, you know, just wanted to get away but, from civilization? Like being well, I, prof- I profile hermits from just about every state and across all time periods, and surprisingly, very few of them were running from the law. And I think that there was one common thread. They were people who were very sentimental and romantic, and they had their heart broken, and, and there was usually a woman involved. <laughs> and in the case, there are some cases of female hermits, and it was the same thing in that case. They got jilted at the altar. So it seems to be a love affair. That seems to be the number one reason why people turn to to be becoming a hermit. Mm, okay. Well, Marlon, we're just about out of time. I, I want to ask you, what are you working on now? Do you have another volume in the works or another idea? Yes, actually, I um, I'm still compiling stories. Um, I figure I have about 600 stories on my blog now, but there's probably about two or three hundred that are in the works that are, and the way I, I operate, it's a continual process. Sometimes I just, it takes me months to like gather enough information to flesh out a full story. And I will say, I think the next batch that I have coming out for the next volume of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Oddities is going to be even even better than this last one. And I do think this last one, volume three, is, is by far the best of them so far. Well, they, yes. I mean, I've, I've seen you do this over the years now and building up uh, you know, as we add book after book after book, sometimes you think, you know, your greatest hits happen in the first volume or the second, and then the rest will kind of fade. But I agree with you. I, I think you're really holding it. In fact, uh, it is getting better over time, and stranger stories are, are coming to you. And yep. it's it's really um, amazing that these things happened in Pennsylvania. Well, Marlon, uh, it's been great talking to you. Uh, love to have you back when you have another volume or two out. All right, thank you. I look forward to it. All right. We've been talking to Marlon Bressy, the author of Pennsylvania Oddities, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, and Harry Men in Caves. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts. <laughs>